Hello, coconuts. Today in TFC Stock Geek Out, we are going to talk about a growth dividend stock. Sounds too good to be true, right? But yes, this is essentially a stable income stock that has growth and, and large and consistent growth potential. This stock we'll talk about is Next Era Energy Partners, the UCO of Next Era Energy, which is one of the largest renewable energy asset holders globally. We all know and want the green transition to occur, so let's dive deeper into this stock and see what it can do. Joining me today is Timothy Phillips from Prosperous. He has been on previous episodes of TFC, TFC Chills, Stock Geek Out, so you should know him by now. And if you don't, please go listen to the other episodes. But today, he will be with us again to talk about Next Era Energy. For reference, this episode was recorded on 24th March 2022. Our discussion today is solely for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not serve as any form of advice or recommendations. Thank you for loving what we do and empowering us financially to do more for you. Let's geek out! Hey Coconuts, welcome to another episode of Stock Geek Out. Today we have again Tim Phillips with us. We have him on to talk again about dividend investing and in particular, Next Era Energy Partners. But before we get there, Tim, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself and Prosperous? Yeah, so um, Prosperous is basically a digital investment platform. Um, we're trying to help users in Singapore um, you know, access different markets, uh, mm -hmm. around 30 exchanges across 11 uh, different countries. Uh, available okay. platforms. So we have a global uh, global platform for investors. Uh, we have you know no minimum uh, commission, uh, no minimum rather in terms of uh, in terms of commissions for the Singapore exchange. So if you want to start out in Singapore, there's always that um, there's always that uh, that avenue. And so what we're trying to do is build a comprehensive investment platform where you have the ability to invest, but also the ability to learn and really educate yourself about investing. Um, so that's where uh, my role fits in, in, in terms of the content and uh, in terms of the, you know, we do educational webinars, we do a lot of audit, mm -hmm. uh, cover different markets like Singapore, Hong Kong, US obviously, Europe. Next Era Energy Partners, I think it's probably one of those companies that fall very neatly in, into a, a dividend stock. It would be also, remiss of me not to say that it's more a growth oriented dividend play yeah okay that's the way to cool. that's the way to no dividend growth that's how i like to that's how i like to <laughs> could you just tell us a bit more about you know next era energy partners i think there's something else called next era energy right, right? so 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 what, what's this tool what, what do they do yeah. so next era energy is actually the largest um clean energy renewable energy company in the mm -hmm. world um okay it's actually made up of a couple of parts. So, so it actually owns a big utility called Florida Light and Power. Um, provides it basically with a lot of, uh, you know, consistent income and, and and profit. And obviously, that is all very regulated at the at the mm -hmm. state level. So there's a lot of a lot of price increases that are structured in, and they can they can earn a specific ROE, you know. And so they actually, you know, that's a very predictable income for Next Era Energy. And then beyond that, they also have Next Era Energy uh, Resources, which is a, okay. and it's one of the largest yep. renewable energy owners in the world of of, uh, of you know wind, solar, battery storage assets. And then they have Next Era Energy Partners. So Next Era Energy Partners is effectively a um, a subsidiary of Next Era Energy. Uh, and it okay. IPO'd in 2014, um, and it's basically called a yield co. So a yield co in yeah. 
clean energy in the clean energy world in the U.S. Um, yield curves are basically a repository for clean energy assets uh, that generate income. And so the great thing about the yield curve is that it provides investors with uh, access to a really big pool of renewable energy assets that are generating really visible income because they already have um, what we call power purchase agreements in place. Yep. These power purchase agreements are with you know utilities or with specific um, specific companies that want to generate uh, renewable energy for you know their their carbon emission targets or they just want to have that optionality for power, right? Yeah. These PPAs they're called uh, they actually have very long lives. They actually have you know usually 10, 15 years in terms of its uh, in terms of its contract life uh, mm -hmm. and with inflation escalators, right? So the the actual visibility of the revenue and the growth um, is really, really, is really high. It's really good. So you have a lot of, um, it's almost, uh, it's almost sort of recession proof in that sense because they've yep. signed these agreements. Um, and unless they just don't want to produce that power or they don't want that power, then, um, you know, it, it, it gives you that income. So I think it gives you a bit more visibility. It gives you a bit more stability. Um, and that's what Next Era Energy Partners is. It's basically a yield co. And so it owns about eight gigawatts of renewable energy assets across wind, solar, um, and also battery storage. The, the main differentiator for Next Era Energy Partners is that it has Next Era Energy, right? As its part, as its okay. parent company. So that's basically yep. the scale. And a lot of these smaller asset owners maybe don't really have the scale to, to grow and they don't have the drop down assets. So what you have with next year energy and uh, next year energy resources is they have a massive pool of, um, of clean energy, renewable energy assets that they can just sell to next year mm -hmm. partners. So for example, next year energy resources has around 30 to 40 gigawatts in terms of its backlog and portfolio. And so yeah. all that is going to be, you know, the next year energy partners will have first dibs on that if they want. They, they can and then mm -hmm. drop down those assets. So there's the optionality for next year energy partners to just keep growing, um, okay. keep growing its uh, keep growing its dividend as well, which it has done. So ever since it went public in 2014, it's been it's managed to grow its dividend every quarter. And so what that has given investors is it's given investors about near 18 percent um, KGAR in terms of the dividend over the past six years. I think that's really what allows it to grow is that it has that access to the Next Year Energy uh, resources portfolio. It allows Next Year Energy partners to access funding at, at obviously a low rate because it's got a massive parent and it's got massive backing. So I think that's an area where it has an advantage and it also again has first dibs on, on some of the best assets in the world because the parent is just is just so huge and it's the leader in the space is there some sort of conflict there right between the the parent and the yuko because naturally you know the, the parent could be seen as selling on um assets to the, the yuko shareholders right it, yeah. and, you know, the pricing I, and all of that that, that tends think, to get a bit tricky yeah no I, I i think that's a fair point i think there is there is usually um, there can be conflicts of interest in the REIT space, but I think within mm -hmm. the yield co space, at least in Next Era Energy's case, there's alignment of incentive, right? So if it's been developed by Next Era Energy Resources, uh, which is owned by Next Era Energy, they want that project to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, 
obviously there needs to be a independent assessment of the price paid and I think usually yeah. it's been quite fair over the past sort of six seven years in terms of the price paid by next year energy partners um, in terms of the financing raise they've managed to really manage that whole relationship quite well and I think the alignment of incentives helps because as the parent they want that to succeed and obviously as next year energy partners they want to deliver that dividend growth and the returns to to investors all right so sounds good um okay so so i, I want to get into financials a bit later but but maybe you can just talk a bit more about the the, the big picture right i mean yeah. you know we, we all know re- renewables that the energy transition it's, it's a huge topic right now which is right. great because yeah. it's, it's literally existential <laughs> um, so so it's good to be a big topic um but yeah you know, and and of course, in the U.S., in the context of the U.S., there's the Build Back Better plan, which yeah. failed. I, I don't actually know what what the status yeah. is. So, yeah. you know, yeah, could you just tell us a bit more if there are any secular tailwinds, ma- macro strengths right. that you know, right. we we think we we could ride on. And one of the big drivers over the past sort of five, six, seven years has just been the costs of solar. Mm-hmm. Down. I mean, solar is really the big one. It's it's come down about eighty five, ninety percent, right? Cost so. The key now is that solar is competitive with coal, with natural gas, with oil. So in 2021, wind and solar only made up 13% of the electricity uh, mix in the US in 2020. So that's low, right? I mean, that's still... That's surprisingly low. I mean, compared to Europe, right? Let's not talk about Asia, but compared to Europe, that's surprisingly low. Coal still accounts for about 23% in the US, even after its massive decline over the past sort of decade. And so that's okay. still, that's still huge, right? So there's still a long, long way to go. And so the U.S., mm-hmm. I think the Energy uh, Information Administration um, in the U.S. is aiming or it, it, it is estimating that by 2050, um, you know, around 44% of uh, the electricity mix in the U.S. will be from renewables, right? So so there's still a long, long runway to go, and the the market opportunity is is really massive. And so you've also seen that come to the fore with Russia and Ukraine now. These kinds of things where countries are now thinking, do I do I, do I want to rely on you know imports of oil or gas from wherever country? So energy security is a massive thing. And so now you're thinking, okay, you want you want you know really reliable renewable energy, clean energy that is generated onshore in your country. Cool. And and sorry, just just I don't think we, we covered this. Sure. Next era energy partners at least. Their portfolio of assets are mainly in US, right? Yeah, so it's actually mainly US and it's around seventy seven percent are actually from renewables and then they have around twenty three percent from natural gas pipelines actually. Oh okay. You know, they're quite a they're quite a uh, they have quite a big presence in obviously Florida and Texas and California. So they're in all the big states that you would expect. Is that a moat in the market or or is that something that, you know, think, that there's just so much competition that it's difficult to say? I think the moat for them is just their experience, right? Because since, mm. at least from Next Year Energy's perspective, since um, Jim Robo took over as CEO, I think, you know, for like 2012, 2011, you know, they've really carved themselves out as a renewable energy, clean energy expert. I think they're valued at over like 160 billion market cap or something. So it's huge. And at one point in 2020, I think they were bigger than ExxonMobil. So they were bigger than Whoa. any oil company in the world. Just highlights how big Next Era Energy is as a, as a player mm-hmm. in the space and as the dominant leader landscape. I think it provides, like a yield code like Next Era Energy Partners actually provides you with probably the best exposure to the story with the least risk, at least in my perspective. Mm-hmm. If you think about some of the, I mean, 
if you think about what we consider upstream in renewable energy, um, you know, quote, upstream, that would be more the, you know, the first solars or the, you know, the companies that are, that are making like the wind turbines, like Vestas, mm. right? Like those massive companies that produce the solar panels, that produce the wind turbines, that are making the solar transistors or, you know, you know, whatever that, that kind of thing, solar edge technologies, that, that kind yeah. of company. Um, and they're really big growth companies. They, they, you know, they, they do great. And it's, it's all, it's all amazing when things are going well. Um, but then if there's massive oversupply, maybe in solar panels or there's massive oversupply in wind turbines or they can't get specific, um, you know, materials to make, to make yeah. their stuff like Vestas, I think has had trouble. Uh, you know, yeah, I think I think all of them had supply chain issues yeah. in the past year actually. Then there are problems, right? And then there's like an imbalance and, and obviously share prices take a hit. And so it's a it's a lot more mm-hmm. volatile. And then if you think downstream, um that's more the installation, the financing companies, and you know, that's just really scrappy and there's a lot of competition there. And so this is more sort of a midstream, right? This is a midstream play. This basically just gets the power from A to B. It delivers the power, yeah. it has the contracts, which is super predictable which are, you know, have those inflation escalators. Yeah, and, and I think some, something interesting about Next Zero Energy partners is that they don't even take construction risks, right? So, so yeah. they are not the developer. They, yeah. they don't need to worry about you know, winning the bid, yeah. um, cost overruns for construction, <laughs> things like that. A lot of their, their generating capacity at the moment is, um, is I think, from wind, but they're, they're moving a bit mm-hmm. more solar. Um, you know, they, acquired, they also acquired a, a wind portfolio from... Um, Brookfield and uh, Brookfield Renewable Partners, which I've oh, okay. heard of, but that's another big player uh, in that space. Um, so that's probably one of their key competitors, I would say. Uh, but they actually acquired a 400 megawatt wind portfolio from them in 2021. Um, so they are acquiring from not only, you know, from from Next Era Energy and mm-hmm. the resources, they're also acquiring externally from third parties as well if they see opportunities, um, and they're raising financing as well in in that in that sense. So they've got a lot of um, they've got a lot of opportunity to keep growing their portfolio and they're looking at doing solar plus storage assets as well. Okay. Uh, so for example, its latest acquisition, I think in 2021, October 2021, they mm-hmm. they bought a um, they bought a portfolio of wind solar and solar plus storage assets. Uh, and that had a you know cash um, available for distribution weighted remaining contract life of nearly 19 years, right? So that kind of gives you an idea of visibility of these <laughs> PPAs. Yeah. Uh, that that portfolio had a, a sort of a 19 year contract life, right? So that's the remaining contract life for that portfolio. That was a um, that was a pretty big purchase for them in uh, in October. So so quite a recent quite a recent purchase. So so they they are pretty disciplined in how they go about. Uh, looking for for acquisitions, and they obviously mm-hmm. have functionality with the parent, um, but that doesn't stop them from going outside and, and also uh, acquiring uh, from third parties. Cool, but I, I guess and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think you know, essentially, while while these are long term contracts and you know they they have indexation factors and all that, yeah, they will like next era energy will be paid only when energy is delivered, right? So, so this means that, you know, if, if the sun doesn't shine, if it's especially cloudy, mm. um, if the wind doesn't blow, then, then there's no revenue, I that's, guess. That's true. Yeah, no, so right? that's one thing that you kind of have to also understand from a operational perspective, actually, is that mm-hmm. their, um, their sort of, their cash available for distribution and the, uh, their adjusted EBITDA is quite choppy, so it's not okay. consistent, right? So Q4, the most recent quarter, actually fell 
Um, but that's quite normal for seasonality because obviously mm-hmm. sun and, and like winter months and et cetera, et cetera. Maybe the wind isn't as yep. so. So you kind of see a drop off in Q4, but then obviously in Q1, Q2, it like picks up again. So there's definitely seasonality, but over the year, the cash available distribution kind of evens it itself out, and they continue to grow that uh, from year to year. Um, and so the adjusted EBITDA and uh, their sort of cash available for distribution targets, they're trying to grow at around sort of the sort of 12 to 15% range. So they want to be able to distribute or they want to be able to grow their distribution rather for around 12 to 15% over the next three years to, to, through to 2024. So it's a pretty ambitious target. Um, but over the past, you know, as I said, six, seven years, they've managed to do that uh, at the high end of the range. Cool. And, and I guess part of it, uh, and this is why portfolio size matters, right? Because yeah, yeah. if they only owned the one wind farm and, and the sun did not shine yeah, for, yeah. That, for that for that state for for whatever reason, then then that that would be heavily uh, affected. But you know they they have they they are spread across the US. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously with, with greater concentration in some states than others. So so I guess yeah. that geographic diversification actually ends up mattering a bit and and providing a bit of a baseline. So yeah. that that's. That that sounds fun, actually. So so I think we we have been talking a bit a lot about DPS growth and and really how we see it as like you know growth come dividend mm. investing and and of of course this all comes from injecting more assets in, into the company, right? But you know, and and that brings to mind that leads to me the question of how how they actually fund it, because I mean so so going back to the Singapore read context, right? You you yeah. you do a you know preferential offering. You you essentially need to raise capital from yeah. from current investors or from uh, institutional investors because you are limited by by a debt equity ratio. Yeah. Right? In in the Singapore REIT context, um, yeah. is that similar in in the US or you know do are they able to lever up more so so that they get higher ROE things like that? Yeah, yeah well, I mean they they have a lot more optionality in terms of how they raise uh, cash. Mm-hmm. You know they um, have a revolving credit facility. They've also they also launch quite frequently um, sort of private sales of convertible senior notes, whether that's convertible debt or convertible equity. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, if it's converted into equity, they tend to then issue um, new shares, right? That, 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 yep. That's converted. So as long as the growth in the dividend is, is obviously not being diluted by the share issuance, um, then that's, that's the key. And so they've been pretty disciplined and pretty... Um, pretty successful in being able to grow that even though share count has, has risen um, okay. through, through different through the convertible uh, financing options but they have a lot of different levers as I said they can pull so in terms of like bank loans as well bank term loans convertible debt uh, revolving credit facility um, convertible equity so they do a lot of um, they do a lot of different uh, different things and so their their uh, financing financing options is one of the biggest uh, yield codes, I think, gives it gives it that edge. But yeah, it's definitely something to watch. I think for um, for rising rates, right? Because that's something that needs to be monitored, and in terms of the yep. debt profile and, and their ability to service that. But at the moment, it, it doesn't seem to be an issue. Yeah, I mean, so I think you know, from from the sounds of it, it sounds like well, you're just buying a conglomerate. They have a big business. They're diversified. <laughs> you you know that they'll have money and and they are running well. So you know that's. I mean, yeah. it's not a tech company, right? So so it's not going to scale as easily or as quickly, but it. Yeah. I mean, for for uh, well, an, an old world business, I guess it 
it's it's as sexy as it gets. It's as sexy or as, as it gets. Or it's as stable as it gets. Yeah. Yeah, it's as stable as it gets. Um, it's got, you know, the uh, it's got the exposure. I think that's the key to mm-hmm. the clean energy, um, sort of clean energy sort of trend. And as I keep telling investors, this is not something that will play out over even the next two, three years. It's going to play out over the next like twenty or thirty years, right? So okay. To have access to that is something that I think should give people peace of mind is that this will always, this is something that is huge. I mean, it's a $15 trillion. It's a reliable income provider. Um, it, you know, it, it, um, it's got the yield co structure, which is preferential for US shareholders. But I was pleasantly surprised to find that the 30% tax that was taken from me last year was refunded mm-hmm. to me at the beginning of this year. So oh. it didn't seem like I paid tax for some reason. So I don't know. That was my own personal experience. So it might be different. Um, but because of the yield code structure, I, it, it's, they actually consider it a return of capital. So it was taken 30% as source for me, but then yeah. given a refund of all of last year's tax at the beginning of this year. So that was, uh, that was a nice surprise. Um, which okay, I sorry. So, so, so maybe just just to rewind a bit, right? Yeah, um, yeah. The the thirty percent we are talking about here is really the dividend withholding. Right? So, yeah, yeah. so, so in the in the in the usual case where where a U.S. listed company or I think a U.S. company actually pays dividends to its shareholders overseas, then yeah. there's a withholding of thirty percent of the amount of yeah. of dividends and. You know, I think what, what you're saying is, well, somehow they got refunded to you, maybe through, I think, I guess it's partnership structure. And, and that's why it's not a dividend, dividend per se, and, and, and something else. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think it was, um, it was a nice surprise to me. Um, yeah. I think structure might be different for people who live outside the U.S. Maybe that's why the L- mm. partnership structure is different. If you are in the U.S., you have, obviously, I think a one, a 1033 form versus like a, K-17, there's like a different tax form you have to fill out yep. for a yield co, uh, a limited partnership structure. Um, but this is the only yield co or LP I own in my portfolio personally. So yep. it was, yeah, it was quite a nice surprise because I was, I wasn't, I, I didn't even think that it would be able to be, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that they did that, but it, they did. So that was quite a nice surprise. So, but I don't. Yeah, that that that, that makes the, the I think on the dividend yield is what three little, and a half percent, yeah, something like that. Five to six percent. So it makes it a little bit more okay. appealing for people. Um, but yeah, yeah. Again, again, it grows every every quarter. So that's something I I also find a bit more um a bit attractive about it because of yeah. It it sounds really like you know a long term play and yeah. You you let you let the yield slowly compound, right? And yeah, I think that that's pretty much it. Yeah, I'm just really, um, that's it. Yeah. it, it and I, and I, sorry, so just, just maybe to come back on the financials of it, you know, are, are they actually paying out all of their free cash flow or, or can out. cash from operations as dividends or are they you know, retaining they're, slightly? They're paying out about like the low 80% like okay. uh, um, of their adjusted EBITDA or cash available yep. distribution. So, 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 so it's sustainable, right? Yeah. It, it's not a company that, that's paying 100, 10, yeah, 120%. Paying 100% in terms of like their cash available for distribution. And they, they're trying to grow that in sort of like, you know, again, 12, 15% range every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not extending themselves in terms of the payout ratio, which is good to know. So, so they try to yeah. fit within a range in the low 80s. Um, and they've been pretty successful at doing that. 
All right. So, I mean, look, this sounds like a fantastic business, right? But I, I think at least from, from the growth perspective, what the lesson of the last six months is, well, it's not growth at every pri- any price, right? You, like valuations kind of matter, yeah. um, even in this market. So, yeah. so how, how would we look at, you know, valuation of, of a company like this? I mean, I think DCF and all that, it's maybe a bit too, too far, a bit too advanced, but just, just relative yeah. valuation. Are we looking at like price to earnings, price to book? How, how does this work? Look at a multiple from an adjusted EBITDA um, perspective. Mm-hmm. How next year energy um, and next year energy partners reports as well in terms of like they look at their um, adjusted EBITDA and then looking at a multiple of that. And so at the moment, it's trading at sort of like 12, 13 times, I think, which is quite expensive for the sector. Yeah. Um, but again, it's expensive because it's probably one of the leaders. Um, so there are cheaper ones like Atlantica Sustainable Infrastructure, I think is another uh, sort of Yoko type player in the space. Um, but it's obviously got smaller scale, uh, but the yield is the yield is higher. Uh, so I think looking at that and, and comparing on an adjusted bit uh, multiple probably makes sense on a, on a Yoko level anyway. Okay, cool. So, so I, I guess, but is this 11 or 12? high historically for it or, or is it has it, it, it come down with, with the market it's trading at the higher end probably of it's because it's not trading at a really appealing yield at this point i think yep. the yield was higher previously i think it was like four or five percent so now it's down around 3.6 but it got down i think it got close to four at the beginning of this year because of mm-hmm. the things fell like quite heavily everywhere in the market um so it went down to about $70, but now it's up at around close to $80, right? So it's um, rebounded and it's, I think it's outperforming the S&P so far year to date. Uh, it's down about 6%. I think the S&P is down around 11, 10 or 11%. Um, and so over the past five years, it's, it's, it's outperformed uh, the S&P on a price and a total return basis. So, so it's one of those, I think, um, you know, it's, it's proven itself to be an outperformer, uh, but yep. You know, it's it doesn't seem exciting, but it's it's beaten the market, so I can't say it's that that terrible. <laughs> that yeah, I mean, it, it was beaten the market over the past five years. Yeah. So you can't say it's, it's that bad, right? Yeah, you can't say it's too boring anyway. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I I mean, well, it's just maybe not as sexy. <laughs> Some somehow renewables have have, have their moments, but but it it just never seems as sexy, which is which yeah. is unfortunate. I know it is. It is unfortunate. I think there's definitely a place for every for it in people's in anyone's portfolio who has like a, a you know, a, they want an ESG stock or they want renewable energy exposure. Then I think it's probably yeah one of the one of the first names. Yeah, it, it feels like one of those that that can act as a ballast to your portfolio, right? So, yeah. Exactly. So you you have you know something that's really stable that that runs well as a business. Yeah. That gives you cash back, you know, because it, it pays dividends. It, it's definitely profitable yeah it's you can hold it for the long term and it's growing right and and we, we all need a, a bit of that in the portfolio i think i, I think it, i like to think of it as a different asset class because it owns physical assets and so kind of like real estate owns physical real estate this owns physical power producing assets so in a way it's not maybe sort of a company like a microsoft or an apple that is a, a certain mm-hmm. um, it's more owning infrastructure, owning assets. Um, and in this inflationary environment, I think that's something that can't be underestimated and it's something that's worth our yep. attention yeah, as investors. Cool. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much for your time, Tim. 
Hey coconut, so I hope you learned something useful today. I definitely did. But of course, whether or not to invest is always a personal decision. We are not here to tell you to do this, to do that, but are always happy to geek out with you about different interesting perspectives, companies, and trends for the future. This series definitely has a lot more depth. So if you have any feedback, ideas, or companies you would like us to cover, do drop us a line through our socials or email us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. See you next time.